0: Hey, gardeners. Welcome back to the Gardeners with Altitude podcast. I'm your host, Regina Hitchcock. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing selecting seed varieties. Any resources I discuss on the podcast will be linked or mentioned in the description of each episode. You can also visit our website, www.gardenerswithaltitude.com. For more information about anything on this or any other episode, As well as a full transcript of each episode with that said let's jump right into today's topic one of the first questions i always get from beginning gardeners or gardeners beginning in this area is how to know what to plant here to guarantee good results first i tell them there are no guarantees Uh, we had a member several years ago who did most of his gardening in missouri Now, in Missouri, you can just throw some seeds out in a garden area and three months later, go harvest your vegetables. Here on the Southern Colorado River Plateau, gardening takes much more work than that. And you can do everything right and still have a miserable year. So what I usually tell folks is just some basic knowledge and then they go from there. First, knowing that our growing season is only about 120 days is important. Most years you can count on non-freezing weather from June through the end of September. Uh, That said, knowing what the back of seed packets are telling you is really important. For example, even though our season is about 120 days long, you can't really grow things like jicama which take 120 days to mature from seed. Why? Because The 120 days of our growing season aren't all growing days and many seed packets don't take into account the slow cool days at either end of the growing season and many seeds like tomatoes and peppers only calculate the growing days from transplanting seedlings outdoors to when you can expect the first ripe fruit. Most tomatoes will need as much as two more months after maturing the first fruit until it is done producing and re- ripening all of the new fruits. So a 120-day growing period is really only long enough for tomatoes that need 60 to 75 days to maturity, and that's if they're ready to be planted out in the garden on June 1st or earlier. Secondly, depending on whether your plants or are determinate or indeterminate they may all mature at one time or may need a much longer time to set and mature their edible parts so pay very close attention to the days to maturity label on the seed packets or plant tags and aim for plants that need no longer than 90 days in the saint john's area that brings me to the next part of selecting the proper seeds for what you want There are two main growth habits for plants. You have the one-time pick-everything determinate style of plants, and the pick-over-a-long-period indeterminate style of growth. The first one would include things like bush beans, determinate tomatoes, Juneberry bearing strawberries, and bush cucumbers. These are very often hybrid plants, developed by breeders so they can be harvested all at the same time and the soil reused for another type of crop. These are wonderful plants if you plan on growing with the idea of canning or dehydrating in mind. Most of the time, these crops form bushing habits rather than vining or climbing habits and don't take up a lot of space in the garden. That said, if you want more than one harvest or a longer harvest of those vegetables, you'll need to do more than one planting of them. The indeterminate style of growing lengthens out the harvest as the plants produce and grow for a much longer time frame. Think of indeterminate tomatoes, pole beans, and vining cucumbers. They continue growing rather than forming a bushing plant and usually need staking or a place to vine out. They do produce over a much longer period of time, giving you multiple small harvests several days to even weeks apart. It's fantastic if you want to have BLT sandwiches once a week, but maybe less fantastic if you're planning on putting a bunch putting up a bunch of tomato sauce. Lots of times these indeterminate varieties or older heirloom varieties. Although they do produce over a long period of time, they usually only produce a little bit of produce at one time. I mentioned two terms in talking about plant growth habits that there seems to be a lot of confusion about heirloom and hybrid. So it's really important to look at these characteristics when considering the seed you want to plant or the plants that you want to plant because they largely determine what you can do with those plants and the seeds from those plants should you choose to save them year to year. An heirloom is a variety that has had its heritage documented usually over a long period of time. It's open-pollinated and breeds true if you save seeds from one generation to the next. For example, if you have an heirloom Waltham butternut seed and you plant it, then you save the seeds from the fruits that plant produced. Provided they weren't cross-pollinated by some other squash family pollen, those seeds should provide you with butternut squash if you plant them next year. Many heirlooms, like the mortgage lifter tomato, started out as hybrids, selectively bred inside individual farmers' gardens. But once a seed variety is stabilized and can reliably produce true plants year after year, it's considered an heirloom. Sometimes it's noted on the seed packet or plant label as open pollinated, but doesn't mention if it's an heirloom or not. These terms are not exactly interchangeable as you'll see in a few minutes, which is one major mistake beginning gardeners sometimes make. Hybrids, on the other hand, are deliberately cross-pollinated between two or more varieties to produce a single generation of seed that will yield plants with specific desired characteristics. Sometimes those characteristics include disease resistance, a particular growth habit, a flavor profile, or any number of other characteristics. The key is to remember that the seeds were meant to grow a particular plant one time, one generation, while most hybrid seeds can be saved and are generally viable, you're absolutely not guaranteed to get the same variety of plant that produced those seeds. For example, very often yellow pear tomatoes are crossed with larger tomatoes to increase the yield and it, yield and proliferation of that larger tomato. You'll get those great prolific, high-yielding large tomatoes the first year you grow that seed. However, If you save the seed from those tomatoes, you might get those great high-yielding prolific tomatoes the following year or you might get a yellow pear or a yellow cherry tomato or a red pear tomato or some other kind of mixture of the two kinds of tomato that produce the original seed. You're never going to get a cucumber or anything but a tomato, but a hybrid seed cannot be expected to breed true seeds within its own offspring. That said, there are many types of seeds that are hybrids, but are still openly pollinated. Squash family plants and corn are prime examples. Isolating them is a must if you plan on saving seeds because they will cross pollinate. All open pollinated seeds can technically cross pollinate, but things like beans and tomatoes, where the flowers have both male and female parts within the same flower, very rarely cross pollinate without deliberate efforts from the gardener corn often will show the results of cross-pollination inside the ear as the corn kernels you eat are the seeds for the next generation sweet corn that's cross-pollinated with colored popcorn dent corn or flint corn sometimes called indian corn will be tough may have colored kernels or may not be sweet squash family plants on the other hand won't necessarily show the results of cross-pollination in the fruit this year since the fruit that grows on the plant this year is the result of the genetics of the seed that was formed in the fruit from last year. In other words, if you end up with cucumber-shaped watermelons this year, that's a result of cross-pollination from last year's seed and has nothing to do with what went on in your garden this year. If you experience cross-pollination this year and you decide to plant the seeds from your very very normal-looking butternut, for example, The fruit produced on the plants that grow next year from those seeds will show the results of the cross that happens this year. That was a mouthful, but feel free to go on the website and download the transcript which will have pictures of these examples if you're a more visual learning person. If you want to save seeds from year to year and have varieties of plants that will predictably produce what you want them to produce you want to avoid hybrids. If you don't mind unpredictability, or you just like trying new varieties each year, you'll find that modern hybrids have a lot of beneficial characteristics bred into them. Things like uniformity, improved yield, improved disease resistance, improved insect resistance, drought resistance, and a more predictable harvest date. The last thing I'll discuss today is a very controversial topic, but I'm going to give you the scientific facts and nothing more, and you can make the choice for your own garden. That choice is organic versus non-organic. Organically grown seed is seed that has been grown for several generations without any synthetic pesticides, herbicides, or fertilizers. Synthetic meaning man-made. That's all it means. There are organic hybrids as well as organic heirlooms. Organic seeds can be grown into non-organic plants by what's done after the seeds have been planted. Just buying organic seeds does not make your produce organic. Being labeled organic in any sale market is a legal distinction. Before you can legally label your plants and produce as organic, your fields, seed, water, and growing supplies must be inspected. This takes time and money, and the process is tightly controlled. There are some pretty hefty fines and felony charges associated with labeling seeds or produce as organic without having the proper inspections done and recorded. All that said, there are no nutritional differences between organic and non-organic seeds or produce, according to independent studies. Blind taste tests have also not shown any reasonable difference to be determined between organic and non-organic seeds and produce. Because both hybrids and heirlooms can be organic or non-organic, there are no identifiable differences between production rates, disease resistance, pest resistance, or any other quantifiable characteristic of organic versus non-organic seeds or produce. Organic produce is often sprayed with organic-approved chemicals, including pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. These chemicals just have to meet organic standards, so being free of chemicals is not a true statement to make about organic produce. In short, there are no scientific reasons to choose one over the other, so it's strictly a personal choice. Choosing varieties of seed for our area, or really any area, can be as simple or as complicated as you make it. I hope this podcast gave you some more information regarding what to look out for when choosing the seed you want to plant in your garden. For more information about this topic or any other topic or product mentioned on this podcast, visit the Garden Club website at www.gardenerswithaltitude.com or consult the description of this episode. Until next time, gardeners, Good luck and happy gardening.